Hello, everyone. So here we are on episode three of the TK podcast, and already I've broken a promise. At the end of episode one, I was reminded I promised to introduce you to Bertie Brown from our London office, standing in his power pose. Put your headset on. Yeah. Stand up. Arms, arms and legs akimbo. <laughs> Get really deep in your voice. You'll sound very, very powerful. Okay, I'll try it. I'll say, Jonathan's taught me everything I know. <laughs> so, you've been here three years. What's the... And then, in the last episode, we just rambled on and on about the Yamal project. And, uh, spoiler alert, there's more Yamal coming here after. But there was no Bertie. So, let's jump straight in. Meet Bertie Brown from the TK London office. So tell me, like, how long have you been at? Um, have you, how long have you been at TK? Uh, coming up to three years now. Three so, years. Uh, yeah, I started as a voyage manager back in November, three years ago. So um, yeah. Tell me about what is a voyage manager because I think sometimes as a non-shipping person who works for a shipping company, I sometimes um, get vessel managers and voyage managers confused okay and they both they both vm because we love acronyms at tk yeah, so we do. Uh, i think the the vessel manager gets vem sometimes but mm-hmm. uh, so how do you how do you differentiate between a voyage manager and a vessel manager so i would say the way tk does it if you look at each ship each ship has got one of each uh, the voyage manager is commercial and the vessel manager is technical so the voyage manager's role uh, once the vessel is fixed, is to get the contract from the freight traders. Uh, they manage the itinerary, they manage the bunkers if they need for the voyage. Um, they get the voyage orders from the charterer. Any th- they facilitate any questions back and forth, loadables. Um, from our side, security if that's required. And they basically manage the voyage, so um, they see it through from A to B. Um, and at the same time, they're looking back at you know closing out the previous voyages, planning the next ones, um, and working closely with the freight traders on one side, uh, commercially to know what was attainable for the next voyage, and then actually working with the vessel managers as well. So where the ships need repair, um, you know, uh, any work that they need doing, dry docking, and things exactly like that. just yeah. trying to manage the itineraries of that, seeing how we can all fit it together and obviously try and get them running as best as possible and so is it is this like mid office stuff what you could would consider mid office um i guess so i mean it's operations um the voyage manager you know they also have a counterpart usually in a broking house as well as a um it could be an oil company or a trading house so from our side we try and build up our relationships with the brokers with the charterers as well um so it's kind of you imagine it in stages, you know, the, at an operations level, you've got your voyage managers here, um, and then that's the same across the board um, through to, say, an oil company where they might have um, a ship operator as well as a cargo operator. Um, okay. And uh, everyone works together, basically, on the on the shipping side to make sure that everything uh, goes accordingly to plan. And... Uh, do you have a, a background in shipping? Like, how do you, how did you become? How does one become a voyage manager? Um, so I'm from a place called Pembrokeshire in Wales, um, which is quite a big oil port in itself. Oh, We've yeah. got um, one refinery now and two LNG terminals. Oh yeah. Um, so as I was growing up, I sort of knew had family that worked in the refineries, 
Uh, I had family that were pilots bringing the ships into the terminal. Oh, cool. Um, so I kind of grew up with the, the idea of uh, the oil industry or the shipping industry. Um, so I started by doing some work experience with Chevron in their refinery at the time. Um, really enjoyed it and asked if I could arrange some work experience in their head office in London. Um, so came and did that um, and went from there. Oh, cool. Uh, so now uh, you are on a different path, right? You've, you're transitioning. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> professionally. I am indeed, yeah. <laughs> so uh, tell us about what's, what's happening. So um, I've moved into the chartering department. So um, I'm working mainly on the Suez Max desk. Um, so I've gone from uh, kind of managing the voyages to, to planning the next ones. So um, uh, yeah, I'm still very much in the training stage at the moment, but working under Mickle and working closely with Aris and Malcolm. Um, currently we have 34 series maxes that we, we look after. Um, and it's a case of matching them up to the best, vo- um, best cargoes out there. Hopefully make the most, uh, the most money back for TK. Right, so what's the, ha, ha, what, what new skills do you need to learn? Because, you know, I remember the first time I went to the Singapore office, it was a long time ago, but there was the operation side on one side and then around the corner they isolated out all the charging guns because <laughs> they shouted down the phone and it was all yeah. loud and crazy. The operations team was all nice and quiet. So, um, you know, do you, need to, do you need to have new skills to, to go into the chartering part? Yeah. Um, or were you shouting a lot as a voyage manager as well? No, no shouting. Very, it's quite quiet at a table office here. Um, what, the main thing I've learned actually, which is maybe not the way the job looks from the outside, mm. is it's a bit more of a jigsaw puzzle. Um, like I said, we've got 34 ships, so you know, at any one time you've got plenty of cargoes out there, and it's about choosing the best one for the best ship. Mm. Um, and actually sometimes saying that's not for us you know that doesn't work for us sorry right um, so that I guess from the outside you, you imagine that oh every ship can do any cargo and, and it's really not the case it's, mm. it's about managing expectations and looking for you know the best fit for each ship yeah but do you find that the, the negotiation between the customer and, the, and us is different than in the Mid office where it's, you know, you're just trying to. It's already the decisions have been made. Now you've got to smooth it all out. Now it's about actually making the decision. Yes, it's very much so. It's it's very much then it comes down to relationships and commercial decisions. Um, when you're an operator and you've got your counterpart on the other side, things are very black and white, and you go exactly by the terms or as you interpret them. Um, and then there are times that actually you hit a wall. You, you both think that you're right and that's you need to escalate it to a commercial level a chartering level to to fix it and then similarly when you're in the negotiation stage as a charterer it's about making those same calls but this time do we let that one go do we hold mm. our ground on this how important is it what's the value to us what's the value to the relationship um, yeah so there's there's definitely that element which is very strong and have you learned to, uh, you know, uh, establish your power pose, you know, stand up uh, when you're on the phone and put your <laughs> arms out wide so that you, you sound and feel more powerful to the 
counterparty. Oh, I don't know about that. It's um, no, it's, Aris, Aris hasn't taught you the the power pose routine. Aris has taught me a lot of things. The power pose is, uh, I think, that's still to come. But uh, you're, you're still it's still early days. Yeah, yeah. It's still early days, exactly. So, uh, but I mean, I might try it. I might suggest a couple and see what he says. <laughs> Put your headset on. Yeah. Stand up. Arms, arms and legs akimbo. <laughs> Get really deep in your voice. You'll sound very, very powerful. Okay, I'll try it. I'll say, Jonathan's taught me everything I know. <laughs> so you've been here three years. What's the what's the next uh, three years look like for you? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be very different pace, I think, to the voyage management. Mm. But um, it's going to take a good couple of months to get really up to speed on the Suez Max desk and um, and go from there. It's uh, learn the job properly and get stuck in. And uh, t- tell me, um, futures. Uh, so, ha- what's the market going to do over the next couple of years in Suez Max? Well, it's looking looking up. So uh, it's been very bad for a long time, huh. and um, we're finally starting to see a bit of movement in the right direction. So, uh, so it's a good good time to get onto the desk. Absolutely, I've, I've timed it very well. I yeah. think. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, Bertie. Appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. That was great. Thank you. No worries. I, I try and keep it nice and simple. Bertie is one of the new breed of TK Tankers commercial people coming through and it was good to see the energy those up-and-comers are bringing to the London office. On a previous episode, I was talking about how our culture is defined by people like us who do things like this. Well, when I think about the operations of the Yamal project, I tip my hat to our colleagues operationalizing that project. Let me tell you, people like me don't do things like that. Minus 50 weather, permanent darkness, extreme working conditions at the edge of the world, heightened vigilance and intense watchkeeping. First week was most terrible and the most interesting and the most exciting week uh, in all my uh, Siemens career. Most terrible, interesting, and exciting week of his career. Wow. That is Chief Mate Mikhail Savchenko from the Edward Tull vessel, describing his first run through the ice. We all was keeping watches, yeah. Chief Mate, Captain, everybody was keeping watches. And the four hours of watch was passing like one moment. Really, four hours, it was like one second, you know, because uh, we were so focused on the equipment. We were so focused how to find the proper way, you know, yeah. We was, uh, our eyes was focused only on the ice radar, yeah, just to find these cracks, you know, just uh, possibility of open water, you know, to find the not so dense ice, whatever, you know, yeah. It was really, really uh, excited. Exciting and mind-boggling to me. No, people like me will stay put in mild, bland Vancouver, thank you very much. From here, though, I want to share their stories. So more from Mikhail and some of the other brave souls of the LNG fleet later in the episode and in future ones too. From afar, I admire greatly my colleagues' tenacity and commitment. There is no better example of operational leadership than the Yamal project. From millions of man-hours of safe, LTI-free work in the yards to build the vessels, to the hundreds of thousands of hours of work putting together TK's famed Polar Operating Manual. And now, for the crews on board, 
weeks away on, in, and through ice, delivering cargo safely and efficiently. This is what Chief Officer Igor Kononenko refers to as the LNG elite. Yamal, it's a great challenge and opportunity for improvement of yourself, to professional skills, and of course everybody who will be there. They meet not only the problems, but also the satisfaction of the thing that they can do. I think there will be almost an elite of LNG because a lot of challenges. More wow from Igor later. For now, it is back to James Thompson, fleet director and Yamal project lead, picking up where he left off in the last episode. And the last time I saw you, you were hiring for, internally you were hiring for some of the roles and you were asking for volunteers. And I, I must admit, when I heard it, I was a little bit skeptical that people would put their hand up. But people from, other than say Russians who are maybe used to the cold weather, but people from all over the, the fleets, the, the nationalities put their hand up. It really surprised me. So tell me about their experience. Like how does a Spanish officer uh, deal with the going up into the Arctic? And Well, I think the exciting thing was for the entire project, Jonathan, was that it was open to everybody. Mm. Uh, anybody within the LNG fleet could put their name forward and become a volunteer for, um, for service on board these ships. And, and you're right. We top-loaded the first vessel with predominantly Russians. There's a few Spartans of uh, Western uh, cultures in amongst that. Um, but the two captains, one's Russian and one's Indian. Mm. Um, and we've got one of our second officers um, is a female Spanish second officer. And again, that's a first fatigue, having our first female serve in the Arctic Circle. And the feedback that I get from, from the vessel managers and, and the team involved with looking after the the project is that everybody's doing exceptionally well. And I have to pause there and introduce you to that second officer to whom James referred, Maria del Mar Soria. We spoke last year to Maria about the motivation required and created by the Yamal project. It's providing the seafarers a lot of amazing projects to get the people motivated. So, for example, for me, it's this uh, Yamal project. It's going to be a very good adventure. And it's what everyone needs, uh, motivation to, to do something. So, I mean, in my way, I, I, I would like to join. TK is going to provide you a lot of training. Nobody in the world has this kind of training because it's new. Huh? It's like six months of training, several courses. It's going to be unique. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, what uh, people need to get motivation every day to, to get a good performance of, uh, of themselves. So, good training, a frontier project. What's not to love? So nobody's come, nobody's unvolunteered nobody's after un- their first uh, absolutely trip. Absolutely not. Yeah. In fact, you know, and the way that we set the project up, the, the guys that delivered the first ship, not all of them, but uh, some of the key individuals, so News News and one of the chief engineers, he's now going to go into the third vessel for delivery because of experience of delivering mm-hmm. a ship from yard, but also to, to go onto the ice. 
one of the chief mates, um, he was successfully promoted to master and he's now become one of the masters on, on the third or the fourth vessel. He's currently doing his training at the moment on the, on the third ship. So that perpetual motion of, of getting experience and then moving on and getting experience and then moving on is going to continue its way through that entire journey. Um, we've got some of our new graduates who have come out from the Nautical College and some British boys and from the Irish mm. Seafaring College. Again, there's there's seven now up in the Arctic Circle, and of course all the crew, uh, the decks and the wipers and the oilers, they're all Filipinos, mm. and believe it or not, they all do it, and they do it with a smile on their face. Yeah, well, uh, that doesn't surprise me, but they're okay with the. They're okay with the cold wow. because of the procedures that we put in place yeah. on the polar water operating manual. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so, tell me though about the like the the winter time that you don't get any sunlight up there or not much, so. Is, are you finding that the mental health side of things has to be dealt with differently? Um, we've got we've got a good uh, procedures in place to identify that in terms through the polar water operating manual, but also we rely heavily on the onboard teams to ensure that they look after the welfare of the crew. And I know that Edward Tall and now with Rudolph from Oil Rich Centre and Service, they've played very very heavily on crew welfare. Um, they don't want for anything on board the ships, to be perfectly honest, Jonathan. They've got an internal sauna, an internal heated swimming pool. What? So they've, they've got all of that. It's all part and parcel right. of the of the build of the vessel. They never want to get off. They just stay on. And, and you know, they, on top of that, there's additional p- personnel on there, purely simply because of the nature of the work. Yeah, right. So doing. the crew is... It's 33. So it's three versus, say, 23 on a... 27. On a 27 on a, on a normal LNG. Uh, and I think that there's room for 50, is that right? There's like a there's bunk spaces for 55 uh, on, in total, so we've got enough space on board the ships for service engineering teams. And more importantly, at this early stage in, in uh, the, the training of our personnel, so we can front load the first two or three ships coming in, so we, when the, the next four, five and six vessels come in, the crews are on board getting that level, right. getting that time on ice. And then uh, when you got the six vessels, how many crew will be will be Arctic crew then? Be like three, well, four hundred. Or? There'll be uh, there'll be six times thirty three. So what's that? Eighteen one hundred ninety eight, yeah. g- give or take. Plus then the the back to backs for the yeah. officers. So that you're going to have uh, probably seventeen thirty four. You're, you're probably going to have nearly double that yeah. in terms of the officers for the crew rotations. Wow. Had you ever been? Done ice work in in your previous career or your previous parts of your career? I done uh, when I was in the military. I did uh, some ice survival training, um, so that kind of at least stood me in some good stead. And I'd obviously operated up in that region. Oh, you had. Uh, so I've I've got a little bit of experience in terms of cold weather, um, climatization, as I would call it. Yeah, 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 great. And have you been on? Have you been on a trip? Absolutely not, unfortunately, believe it or not. You don't like the cold? Uh, it's not that I don't like the cold. It's I can't really be spared for, for the best part of 14 days. I haven't even had a chance yet to meet uh, the ships in service, purely simply because obviously focusing my energies elsewhere at present. Uh, but the intentions are in due course to at least try and get to a discharge port to at least yeah. get on board one of the vessels. Good luck. All right, thanks James. You're welcome. little addendum here since we laid down the audio track solomon our resident audio genius 
has returned from a trip to North Norway to record the Yamal LNG's ship-to-ship transfer project we referenced in episode two. Solomon, what was the overriding experience that you had on the trip? It was cold, but good. Did you capture any interesting observations from the crew on board Edward Toll? Yeah, some great conversations. I'm still working through the content in post-production, but here's a little snippet from Chief Mate Subjanko again, describing the sound of ice. And the most interesting uh, during our first voyage, you know, it was a sound. Because the, the ice makes, it's like a horror movie, you know, because it's absolutely terrible sound, you know, yeah. It's re- and the thing is, uh, by thickness of the ice and um, different temperature makes the sound also different, you know. Sometimes it feels like somebody's scratching the sides, you know, yeah. Sometimes it feels like somebody's scratching on the, on the glass, you know, this absolutely terrible sound, you know, especially when you're sitting in a mess room or somewhere, you know, <laughs> and you hear, you know, this uh, noise, you know, I said, come on, what's going on, you know. But here you, you can feel, you know, how thick the ice, only by sound, you know, yeah. The horror! Jeepers creepers! Yamal, 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 what a project. As I mentioned, we will return with more stories of life at sea and on ice. For now, I'll let Igor Kononenko take us out on the topic of Yamal, because it really is the wow effect we are talking about. Yamal is the future, not only of the gas fleet, but also the future of the industry, both for our country and for the world countries that are in this project. TK is uh, one of the world leaders in the shipping industry, it's a first of all. So to be the part of TK family, it's already the part of the leading in the industry. Wow effect, it's uh, what we are meaning when we're talking about the TK and uh, Yamal. Hey, so we should really create a jingle of Igor saying wow effect. It's one of the best sentences we've ever captured. If you have recommendations of who we should include in the podcast in the future, please let me know. Everyone has a story to tell. People like us who do things like this. Cheerio.